Okay, we're up to page 277. And he is describing what, what does it mean to be a Jew, right? What does it mean that I am a Jew? What is Judaism, right? And to find the answers, we don't look at external sources. We look at the original source of Judaism, right? I just wish I could figure out a way to actually um, uh, express this in, a, in like a, a flyer for college students. I don't know if this would really draw their attention so much. I think the free food might draw their attention, but we'll see. Um, okay, we, to whom the mildness of the times has given the task was, the mildness of the times has given the task of removing this dust. The dust that we're referring to is the fact that the dust of battles against misery and oppression, that we're only able to save Judaism covered with the grime of the past. And therefore, it's not appealing. It's not attractive to the young, the young people. Should we have so little respect for the efforts and struggles of these men that we do not consider it worthwhile to cleanse this precious jewel for our own benefit, to discover what it was that they fought for? Should we just look at its dusty exterior and solely because of that, cast away as worthless, the precious possession for which our ancestors sacrificed life, property, and liberty, and all of life's joys? Should we? But I am forgetting, my dear Benjamin, that only heaven hears these wishes, that only this paper sees them, that I am writing only to you. Uh, interesting why he chose the 18th letter right at the end to stick at, in as a soliloquy by stage aside. Right, that this is not really to everyone, right? When of course his audience really is whoever's reading this book. He's trying to like tread both paths at the same time. Light and truth and life will emerge from these trying times. Be sure of it, my friend. And then you will see in a different light the situation which together we have been deploring, the seemingly hopeless state of the spiritual concerns of our people. There is no official leadership, no central authority, only efforts by individuals. As a result of the striving for reform, the religious services around which this whole movement for reform is apparently revolving have taken so many different forms that a Jew traveling through Germany can find a different service in every congregation. Can you not see that this too has its positive side? Hmm. Not actually sure what he means by that. Let's turn to page, uh, let's see, page three. Wow, it's a lot of pages, notes here. Page 328, footnote number 35. Here again, the author takes a bold stand, suggesting that with all the harm it did, the reform movement may have had a positive side too. It has forced upon us a clarification of what Judaism is really about, which was long overdue, since not one of us now living appreciates Judaism as purity. In a letter to Simon May, written on December 15, 1839, Rabbi Shapshenfall Hirsch comments on the pain caused by the upheaval among German Jewry and declares that it will have a good side if in the end it will bring the right response. The worst aspect of the situation is represented not by those who drift away, but by those who in the face of the crisis do not care and remain asleep, right? Neutrality is worse by far, right? To have some reaction one way or the other shows that you still care about it, that you care about Judaism, it is important to you. Now, it might be the wrong reaction. It might be a reaction that leaves Judaism false, but at least it's something that says, I want to define Judaism. The person who says, I don't care about Judaism at all, there's not as much hope for them, right? You know, they, they, they say that there's still hope in a marriage when the couple is fighting. When the couple no longer even fights, then there's no more hope in the marriage, right? The absence of a central religious authority governing the Jewish community also appears to Rabbi Shamshin Hirsch to be a blessing of sorts. If we were controlled by a leadership committed to the reform movement or dedicated to compromise approaches, it obviously would do great harm. And even an authority firmly 
committed to Torah would merely lead to perpetuation of the struggle. For direction cannot replace persuasion in bringing all sides together under the rule of Torah. Right? This is a very important point and perhaps a point that is also relevant to the, uh, the struggle right now in Israel for the state of uh, what sort of religious, what the religious state would look like in Israel, right? Perhaps this is something that's a very important point and of course certainly did not believe in having a, a religious authoritarian state, right? The free swinging of the scales brings about the expression of misguided ideas, but the exploration of all possible approaches will undoubtedly in the end lead to a recognition of the pure truths of Torah. Okay, so something which is very critical to speak out clearly. Oftentimes you may hear an Orthodox rabbi say, in Judaism, we believe in free speech. In Judaism, we believe in free thought. We believe in free will. And everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Now, to be clear, when we say everyone is entitled to their own opinion, it doesn't mean that they have the right halachically to act upon whatever they determine to be the correct way of acting. That's not what we mean. What we mean to say is they have the right to think what they want to think. But the ultimate goal, of course, is to bring them to a closer important for people to recognize that they have the ability to express their opinions and they have the ability to say whatever they want. But there has to be a sense of that halacha is non-malleable, right? Halacha is going to remain halacha, right? You can debate all you want from today to tomorrow, but in terms of the actual practical life, the halacha is going to stay the same. Rabbi Shabshanfal Hirsch fully recognized the dangers inherent in such full debate. And he stressed that it would not have been tolerated in the Rambam's time despite the good which might have resulted from it, because of the need to curb conflicting philosophical tendencies. In his own days, the decision whether to permit such freedom of controversy was taken out of our hands. The scales were permitted to hang free by God's action, and he therefore felt able to point out the benefits of this situation. In other words, he recognized that there was a direction in which the world was leaning, in which popular society was leaning. And this direction certainly had its negative attributes as well. But to some extent, we say that when things of this nature happen, we recognize that this is the will of God. And when you recognize this will of God, then you have to say, there must be something positive about this, because otherwise Hashem would not have allowed this to happen. Would Rabbi Shamshin Fall Hirsch have been in favor of such freedom if he had had to decide whether to tolerate it? One would hardly think so, especially in view of the fact that so far, the free battle of ideas about Judaism in the setting of our modern age has caused enormous suffering and casualties. And we do not yet see before our eyes the triumph of Torah. Rabbi Shamshin Hirsch had unbounded confidence in the truth of Torah and in the ultimate victory of that truth. But he also was aware of all the forces within and surrounding man, which keep him from readily acknowledging the truth. And even if he had had a choice and had opted for essential authority, dedicated to the preservation of Torah, Rabbi Shamshin Rafael Hirsch would still have insisted on the need to persuade, to reason, and to explain. Our own experience in our days shows that organized efforts to protect the practical and spiritual concerns of Torah Jewry and to reestablish the role of Torah over the entire Jewish people, while no doubt extremely important, clearly have their limitations. Kirav Rechol Kim, Regaining the souls that have been lost is first and foremost a matter of education and inspiration, as opposed to what has been, I think, maybe perhaps unfairly termed kfiadati in Israel, which means the coercion of the religious people, which is that the state has certain things which are underneath the authority of the religious people. And that sometimes leads to non-religious people feeling that they don't have the freedom to live their life as they would choose to live their life. 
right? So if one that we one angle of trying to ensure people live a let's say more uh, Torah observant lifestyle is by forcing them to live a more Torah observant lifestyle, and then the other angle and that is more successful typically is leading a horse to drink as opposed to forcing the horse to drink, right? So to lead them with inspiration, to lead them with a with a loving and a um, uh, closeness with them, that's far more likely to be successful than to actually force them to do something. Um, that being said, that being said, there is something that is important to recognize about fiat that deed. Fiat that deed is not necessarily the idea. It's not that they want to force individuals how they should live their life. It's actually more about um, more about ensuring that the state of Israel has a religious tenor to it. Right. So in other words, it may not be more effective in the long run in terms of helping bring people closer to Judaism, but but it is more effective in terms of ensuring that the state of Israel has a, like I said, a religious tenor and a religious flavor to it in a public sphere. Okay.